Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Requested that we spend some time going over our doctrines, and we thought the sermonette time is a good opportunity for us just to review our fundamental doctrines and keep the Bible study, the youth Bible study, for the study of the Bible. Let's begin in Haggai chapter 2, as we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Many believe the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. That simply is not supported by the Bible. And if you look at Haggai chapter 2, they believe that, again, the Holy Spirit is something that came uh, on the day of Pentecost, and that in the Old Testament, the, the Israel, ancient Israel, was unaware of the Holy Spirit, that it's really the church that comes into contact with the Holy Spirit. But look at Haggai chapter 2, and beginning in uh, verse 4, it says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, the governor, says the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, so all of the people, says the Lord, and work, work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 5, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. So I'm with you according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. So my spirit remains among you, fear you not. So the Holy Spirit, God's spirit, was among the people of Israel. It is not new to the church, or it's not, it wasn't new to Israel in the church age. They were familiar, and there are many scriptures in the Old Testament that show that the Holy Spirit was active among the people of Israel. So what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? How does it work? We see it really as the power of God operating in the earth. Well, let's just get the context first. We know that God created man in his own image and in his own likeness to reproduce himself in mankind. And unfortunately, Satan conquered man and Adam and Eve sinned and were cut off from God. And in a sense, cut off from accessing his Holy Spirit and then really fathered a world and or parented a world that was cut off from God, a world that was carnal and hostile toward God, and a world that embraced idolatry, a world that worshipped everything except God. In that context, turn to Genesis chapter 12. We see a world cut off from God, worshipping idols, filled with violence, and hostile toward God. And one man in this context stood out, and that man is Abraham. And man's intimate relationship, or God, yeah, man's intimate relationship with God really begins here in Genesis 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get you out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you 
and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you, and curse him that curses you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is a remarkable promise, and, and it, it is a covenant that God makes with Abraham, Abram who, who becomes Abraham, father of nations. And so in Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This promise is first carried out through the Mosaic covenant. So God now covenants with the children of Israel through Moses to give them his laws and his statutes so that they can be a blessing to all mankind that they can set up a godly nation and all mankind can look and see the power of a godly nation and be attracted to God, to see that the ways of God are superior to the ways of man or the ways of Satan. And, and we almost had it. We, we had it you know, for a fraction of a second with King Solomon. So King David then cleared the land. King Solomon set up the kingdom of Israel and the whole world admired this kingdom and people traveled from far and wide to learn about the true God. And in that sense, all families of the earth would have been blessed through Abraham, through the Mosaic covenant. Unfortunately, Israel failed and they failed over and over again. Even King Solomon himself failed. So this Mosaic covenant, unfortunately, was a failure. The, the ability for God to bless all mankind through Abraham's seed failed. And let's see that in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 7 says, For if that first covenant, if that first agreement had been faultless, if it didn't fail, then should no place have been sought for the second. The, the second would be unnecessary. There would be no need for a new covenant if the first covenant was successful. Because God's intention was to bless all mankind through Abraham's seed. And the Mosaic covenant was the first attempt to do that. If it was successful, we would just have the Mosaic Covenant. And we would have the kingdom of Israel established on earth and people coming to the, the true God through that kingdom. But it wasn't faultless, and it did fail. So there was a place sought for a second covenant. Verse 8, why did it fail? For finding fault, so it's an agreement between two parties. That's what a covenant is. There's an agreement between two parties. The agreement failed. Why did it fail? For finding fault with them. The, the, there was nothing wrong with the legal agreement. But it failed because one party broke the agreement. One party did not live up to the conditions of the agreement. For finding fault with them, Israel, he says, Behold, I've made a promise to Abraham. I'm going to keep it. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house, I'm going to do this. I'm going to carry out my promise to Abraham. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. 
Who's the covenant with? The seed of Abraham. This is not a covenant with Gentiles. Gentiles are never a part of this covenant. In fact, Gentiles means other nations, the nations that God is not dealing with. So there's Israel and the nations that God is not dealing with. The covenant can never be with the nations that God is not dealing with. The covenant is with Abraham and with his seed. Gentiles will be blessed by this covenant. Through this covenant, they can't have their own covenant. There's no such thing. They have to come into this covenant. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, the Mosaic covenant, in the day when I took them by the hand, I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. I'm not going to do it that way because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not. They broke the covenant, says the Lord. So I'm not going to do it that way again. I'm going to have a new covenant. They broke the, the covenant failed because they failed. So I'm not going to do it that way again. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, not with Gentiles. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, the seed of Abraham. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind. This is different. We read in Haggai that the spirit was among them. We know from the Mosaic covenant that they had the law. But God says, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to carry out my promise to Abraham, but I'm not going to do it that way. The way I did it with Moses. This time, I'm going to put my laws into their mind. And I will write my laws into their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people so that all families of the earth may be blessed in Abraham's seed. This promise then is what Acts 2 is all about. Let's go to Acts 2. So, you know, Pentecostalism, these New Testament church, they will go to Acts 2 for the receipt of the Holy Spirit. But without this context, and Brother Gord made the comment last week that, you know, it's great to study Revelation, good to study Daniel, but we've got to be rooted in Genesis. This all begins, Genesis is about origins. And then from Genesis to Revelation, it's one narrative. It's one grand narrative that makes perfect sense. So you can't look at Acts 2 in a vacuum. We look at Acts 2 through the lens of Genesis, this agreement that was made with Abraham. Acts 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. So they had just received this sermon from Peter, and they now realize they are sinful. They realize they have, they have uh, destroyed the Messiah. And they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brothers, we're in, a, we're in trouble What should we do? Then Peter said to them, repent, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. So we baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is now the receipt of the Holy Spirit, which God said, I'm not going to covenant with them the way I covenanted with Moses. I'm not going to do that again because they broke my laws. 
This time I'm going to covenant with them in a way that I'm going to put my laws in their minds and put my laws in their hearts. And we see that covenant here through baptism. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift, God's gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is unto you, Israel. It's not to Gentiles. This is a promise unto you, Israel. This promise that God made to Abraham is unto you, Israel, and to your children. And notice, though, it is to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call into Israel. So you don't have to be an Israelite to be blessed by the promise to Abraham. All families of the earth will be blessed by this promise, but through Israel. You have to come into Israel. So very quickly then, when we receive this gift of the Holy Spirit and and this new covenant with God, what does it do? And I'll just quickly say uh, three things plus one that it does. And this is not conclusive. It does many things. But here are three plus one. Number one, it changes us. When we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are transformed. Look at Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 1. And you has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So so we were cut off from God, we were dead, we were in this sort of temporary existence, heading to the grave fast, and he made us alive. Wherein, in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So prior to baptism... Prior to the laying on of hands and the receipt of the Holy Spirit, we are subject to the ruler of this world. And that, that his spirit is acting in us and we, don't, we, can't, we can't help ourselves. We are just sinful by nature. The Holy Spirit transforms us and takes us from this nature and makes us spiritually alive. Among whom also we all had our conduct in times past, in times past, in the lust of our flesh. We all did this fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, we change. We come from under the dominion of the devil, and we come under the dominion of Christ. And the Holy Spirit changes us, transforms us. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Number two, it enables us to understand the things of God. That there are things that I am preaching from the Bible where the majority of people, when they hear this, they say, that is rubbish, that is nonsense, I don't have time for that. They just, it, it bounces off their head. It doesn't go in. We are able to receive the word of God and it makes sense. Not only does it make sense, it's exciting and we want more. That comes from the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 7 But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. We, the apostles, the evangelists, by extension, 
the ministers of God, speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. It's not open to everybody. Even the hidden wisdom is not open to everybody, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, the first fruits, which none of the princes of this world, even the leaders of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them. So it's completely unknown. It's a mystery. But God has revealed it unto us by his spirit. So when we receive the Holy Spirit, we have access to this knowledge, which is mysterious, which is hidden even from the rulers of this world. And it goes all the way back to the foundation of the world. We have access to it through the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him, so the human spirit helps us understand human things, even so the things of God knows no man except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. And and God wants to give us these things, and we are able to know them through the Holy Spirit. Uh, Number three, it enables us to witness boldly for God. We become witnesses through the Holy Spirit and and not weak witnesses. We become bold witnesses through the Holy Spirit. Acts 5. Acts 5. Acts 5 and verse 26. Then went the captain with the officers... And brought them without violence. So the apostles have been arrested. For they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Didn't we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have, you've done the opposite. We commanded you not to teach in this name. You've done the opposite. You've filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter, this is the coward Peter. This is the, the coward that lied and denied Christ, three, betrayed Christ three times. Now he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So this is the boldness that the Holy Spirit gives. And if you read on, it'll show you that the Holy Spirit enables us to witness to the, to the truth of Christ and the identity of Christ. So those are the three things that the Holy Spirit, not exclusively or conclusively, but those are three things that the Holy Spirit enables us to do. It changes us. We are transformed. We, we become able to love like Christ. It enables us to understand the mysteries of God. And it enables us to witness boldly for God. Three plus one. And this is the fourth. The receipt of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that later today. The receipt of the Holy Spirit is the beginning of eternal life. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we cease to be people who exist temporarily. Our existence now goes beyond the grave 
into eternity. Romans 8. Let's conclude in Romans 8. We are going to witness today another soul commit her life to Jesus Christ and receive the beginning of eternal life, being married to Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. Romans 8, verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead. We are transformed. The body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, remember Christ was crucified and he was in the grave for three days and three nights. And the father activated and raised Christ from the dead. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies. So this mortal body that we have, we will give it up. And we will receive a new body, which is immortal. If that spirit that God used to raise up Christ from the dead, if that Holy Spirit is in us, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also make alive your mortal bodies, by his spirit that dwells in you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Agent. Very quick, but very powerful message. And just reminding to everybody, if you still have any comments or some, you know, questions, just keep it during our fellowship later. So at this time we'll have our spiritual songs. I'll ask you to stand.
This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.